Hey, everybody. One thing real quick. We recorded this interview at a very busy intersection in Memphis, Tennessee. And so you'll hear some background noise at times. I'm very sorry about that. We always try to keep that non-existent or at a minimum, but you'll hear some here. So just want to let you know. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the sponsor for this week's episode. AB Jets is a great story and great company. I'm not exactly flying around on private jets during this stage of my life, but if I were, I'd be calling AB Jets. They're one of the safest private air companies in the world. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J E. This podcast is also brought to you by My Story. If you stop and think about it, are there stories and experiences of someone you love that have been forgotten? If you could, would you go back into time and capture a series of conversations, family memories, and life experiences of someone you love that would be around to keep and share for generations to come? Here, I want you to hear one of our favorite clips from a World War II veteran. How come your brother didn't go to Auschwitz? He was lucky he, wasn't, he was not caught. They just didn't get him? No. Where no. Did, like, where did he hide? Or what? They didn't. They lived normal life as possible. <laughs> they just didn't come to their house? Yeah. And they right. went to your sister's house? Right. What did right. it feel like that night when you found out? What better way to keep and remember the life of someone you love in their own voice for generations to come? Go to mystorytold.org to learn more. That's mystorytold.org to learn more. Hey, everybody. My guest today is Frank Cianciola. I'm fortunate to interview many people across the country for the corporate interviews I produce. If there's one thing I've learned over the last few years, it's that if something works in one market, those principles, they'll work in every market. It's an absolute pleasure to release today's episode with banking entrepreneur and industry veteran, Frank Sanciola. Frank is the founder of Bank3, headquartered out of Memphis, Tennessee. And this isn't Frank's first rodeo. This is the third bank he has run after two other successful exits. You'll hear on his latest bank how he took a struggling bank with less than $20 million in assets, and today it's at $425 million, and he's shooting for $1 billion. In this episode, you'll hear living life as an underdog and loving the fight, putting it all on the line in your 40s when you're given an opportunity to run your first bank, how to pick talent and empower them to provide a level of service that a big bank can't, plus much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Frank Cianciola. Frank, good to see you. <laughs> good to see you guys. Yeah, thanks. It's a great office. We <laughs> we didn't build it. We <laughs> inherited it. But uh, we always watch the shareholders' money. It's a nice office, yeah. <laughs> I read that a quote from you. It says, I've always enjoyed being the underdog. I admit liking someone to tell me that it can't be done, that it is impossible for a tiny bank to compete. You remember saying that at some point? Yes, I have said that. What does that mean? Well, I think, you know, everybody's got to have a purpose. You got to have a fight. I enjoy, I enjoy that part of it. You, you know you're pushing yourself to go to the next level when you do something, whether it's start one bank or the second bank or another bank. You have to get better each time. And so you've always got a goal, you've always got a purpose, you've got something you're working on, and you keep moving that goal until you get too old. I guess one of these days <laughs> I'll get too old. But, and, and your talent gets better, your understanding of, 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 of your markets, uh, your appreciation for what it takes to run a successful bank. 
just all of it. You just get better with experience, with age. Was there ever a point in your career where you thought you made a bad bet, you did a bad deal, and you might be out of the game? No, I always wondered if the game wouldn't change to where it wouldn't be as, um, oh, how shall I say this, as rewarding to stay, to stay in it. Banking in general has a fair amount of bureaucracy, as you well know, and so that is not appealing to uh, a lot of people who are entrepreneurial, okay? So, you know, you have a lot of red tape. Our partner, if you want, if you will, is uh, is the FDIC that guarantees our deposits. So you're kind of quasi-governmental in, uh, in structure if the regulators are not on your side and if you don't do things the right way. So you're going to deal with some bureaucracy, uh, but you know it's, it's, it's necessary. They insure your deposits, so they've got public money at risk. They've got uh, federal money at, at, at risk, the insurance, uh, if it is ever called upon to bail out depositors. So um, we, uh, I think I've got four or five people that, I, that uh, we have to answer to. It's the customers, it's the employees, it's the directors, it's shareholders. It's the FDIC, and you balance all those, yet you're a company that's for-profit. you got 200 shareholders. And when you put your hand out and say, I'd like to, for you to invest in my company, then you're making a pledge to those people that I promise to respect your capital and do what I can. Uh, your family's worked hard for it, or you've worked hard for it. And I believe that we can make X return. I believe we can do certain things. But um, I, I never planned on... Uh, making a large hit and moving down the road. It was always like, build on something, be, be, uh, uh, invest your money with at the same price the other people's do. Now, I have options. I have some other upside in it, but uh, people that I've known since I was two years old, you know, you, you take that sort of stuff very, very seriously. I've always invested my money along with everybody else in a, a meaningful amount to me. So that um, uh, we, we all make money together at the end, or we make money over time together. And I've got, you know, their best interest because I have my family's best interest in it, too. And I think that works out pretty well when you do it that way. Is that an old school approach? I think it is. If I was, if I was going to uh, invest in someone else's bank, I would want to know that they had a lot of skin in the game. Yeah. People can describe bankers as... Some people can say they're there for you when things are good, but they're not there for you, you know, when you need them or, you know, bureaucratic, as you say. But, I mean, you've told me outside of this conversation, you've always believed in putting your own chips in the game. And you've taken a yeah. lot of risk personally, and we both know other yeah, people have. that have done the same thing in this space. I have. When, when I did uh, Victory Bank, I put everything I had, which to me was a lot of money back then. That's 25 how many years ago? 26 years ago? 26 you borrowed years. on everything you had and put it in? Just put it all in. I figured if I couldn't bet on myself, you know, I, I didn't know where else it would be better to, to put that money. And uh, so I did. And, you know, David Leake, I told you about that. He was surprised that I would wanted to put that much in. And I said, no, you know, David, I, I believe we can do this thing. So, um, uh, and that was a good role. Victory was a good company. It was a good uh, Turned out pretty well for us. And you put it, you put everything you had into that. I just took my whole, all my IRA. Yeah, I took everything I had. You know, you got, you're working hard, and you got a family, and you're putting through private schools and stuff like that. You don't have a lot of, a lot of money except for whatever you have in your 401k, which was, you know, to me that's, <laughs> that was it, and uh, things worked out pretty well. Out of people that you see that raise money, let's say take ten people, ten men and women. How many people feel that responsibility to put everything they have in? Oh, I don't know that everybody would necessarily put everything they had in. I, uh, I was young enough. Uh, I felt like I was, a, I was a pretty good banker, and I felt like, you know, uh, I, I would do okay. But I, I wanted that pressure on me, so I wanted to put that uh, investment in, and I thought the upside would beat me having my money in the stock market. You know, so... But it was always good uh, to uh, to know that your investors were equally equally rewarded. And instead of me just having a job, you know, uh, I think hopefully they knew that I was in there working hard to create value for them and and uh, all the stakeholders. I read that 
1985, there was 16,000, just under 16,000 community banks. And a community bank, by definition, is less than $10 billion in assets. And then in 2015, 5,800, 5,874. And then last year, 4,750. Does that sound right? Yep. It goes down about 250 a year, FDIC-insured institutions, I think. So, yeah. And it's... I don't know how many of those are rural banks versus metropolitan or city-type banks. I, I used to know that, not that number, but things have changed, and, it, and it's expensive. Regulation's expensive. So you probably need the ability to grow assets in a metropolitan market. We have one uh, rural market out of five. That was the original bank in Woodland Mills, but it's not too far from Union City, uh, and that's been a real success story for us up there. Jackson, Tennessee has been a real success for us. Uh, North Mississippi, we're down in uh, DeSoto County, and, and that's um, uh, a little less than two years going, and we're uh, break-even, basically. So what, you know, my idea with this, and I, you're probably going to lead to this in a minute, I'll go into it, but the idea was not so much market share uh, in any market you go to, just uh, make sure you get the right person and the right staff of three or four people that can grow a $100 million bank in that particular market. So if you do that and you can generate 15 or $20 million in assets per employee, your expense factor is going to allow you to compete with the big banks, but you're not going to be, oh, gosh, well, I've got 33% of Memphis market share. It's not going to happen. We don't need to. We can become a billion or two or so on just by going to cities in Tennessee or in Mississippi or surrounding states and uh, folks in our niche, which is commercial. You traveled the world Mm -hmm. working for a bank early on in your career. I did. What's it like now being here now after founding and running three banks, right? You've been a part of more than that. Yeah, yeah. But that are your own. Mm -hmm. This niche not trying to pursue market share, but having your plan and executing on that plan. Works. It's all people. You're going to make mistakes when you hire. And I'm pretty good at hiring and recruiting. I really am. But you're going to make mistakes, and you got to recognize them when you do, and, and, you, and you move forward. You replace it with someone who's better, that fits the culture that, that you have. And as I said uh, before the microphone was turned on, as I, as I said, we— believe culture and people is everything in this business. So first of all, you have to know your strengths and weaknesses, you know? So you hire to your weakness. That's important. And there's so many areas of bank, where it's IT or audit or whether it's um, operations or marketing, business development, sales, credit, so on. You want to, you go, you decide that I want the best in that category and you think real hard about it. And then when you go into another market, you may centralize credit and, and uh, certain aspects of you know IT and deposit ops, but you need an in-market person to represent you wherever you are. We're getting ready to go to uh, suburban Nashville, probably in Franklin, Tennessee. So we have to have uh, you know the connectivity there and, and the background there to to. Um, Grow that bank the way that the way, way that you want to. So you think real long and hard about it before before you go into a new market. Same thing with Jackson. Same thing with Soda County, Mississippi. We hired hired the president of the head of the chamber of commerce in the Soda County. wasn't a banker. You don't have to be a banker to come to work for us. You just have to have the attitude and the personality, and we can, we can kind of educate you on on the banking side of it and support you. So done that a few times too. Is there anything with ego or with humility or contentment or age to where you are content and driven in building this bank in your niche with your plan versus getting caught up and trying to be things to everybody or trying to, you know, chase market share? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah you know, I, I think mo- most of the time what I did was, was, was to learn. If I, if I went into another area, I progressed at large banks to a certain level. But after so many acquisitions, it became so bureaucratic, it was pretty boring to me. So John Williams was the uh, 
president and founder with uh, with the Memphis Group, and I'd, I'd been on their board for a while, and so I asked if, if he would um, allow me to come, and, and we decided it would happen. So I got to sit on the other side of the desk, and instead of loaning 13 or $14 million to a company, I was borrowing for 13 or $14 million from a couple of banks. So you, you, can, you begin to learn a little bit about uh, being in the customer's chair, and that was good. But um, everything, uh, whether, you know, I had some partners in real estate we did over the year. Everything I did always taught me something. You know, it taught you how to negotiate. It taught you what, uh, you know, the, the people to look for. It, it, and it, business is business, you know, whether it's banking or whether it's real estate or whether it's aircraft parts or whatever, whether it's retail. They all have certain elements that are, that are that are similar, and you need need to learn from it. So, you talk about traveling overseas. I just decided, uh, you know, I was a kid that grew up in Colonial Lakers. We didn't have a whole lot, and I decided I wanted to learn a little bit about the world. So I just made my mind up that I was going to go ask uh, somebody at, at the bank I was I was at, would you have any interest in me being the senior credit officer over Asia and uh, uh, Western Europe? At the time, union planners, they were doing some business there, and they said yes, so I got a chance to go to, I don't know, 20 countries. I was going to graduate school at the time, and so I'd go to the embassies and do some research and work on a thesis or a graduate paper or something like that. But to me, it was just like um, I, I enjoy uh, new experiences. I enjoy broadening my background enough. So maybe maybe it's helped me become a, a late bloomer, and I'm still kind of hanging around, <laughs> thinking I learn. I, I still like to learn. I, I feel like when I come here every day, I learn from somebody here. You know, it's just it's it's just a lot of fun. Hopefully, hopefully they learn something from me, and I learn something from them, and and uh, we get better every year. You yeah, know? I was just curious because it sounds like you've got a system and you've got a process, and you know how to work that process. I don't. I don't need a lot of uh, adulation. I. I just want to be as close to being correct as I can, and 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 right. I. I feel good about myself. Try to be reasonable, uh, and, and take care of the people that help me get there. Try to make uh, make as many of these younger folks uh, owners of the company as I can by options and SARS and different types of reward. I've had a lot of. Presidents, CEOs, market presidents, and people like that, and banks that have worked for me—I take a lot of pride in that. As much as anything, I like to see families do good. You know, if if, if somebody can advance, but you also owe owe these people a lot, and uh, I've enjoyed seeing people come along. It's it's something that you know makes you feel like it was worth worth it—not just the money, but uh, getting a chance to work alongside, and you create this team. You know. That, the, the proverb I quoted recently somewhere, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. What's going to happen to society here, to business, how it works, to how things evolve? As Well, uh, I mean, it's a little bit frightening. You don't want too much government uh, involvement. There's a certain amount that's necessary. And the FDIC and your regulators are there to make sure that uh, that you run a clean bank, a good solid bank. But um, there's a social agenda, and then there's a a for profit agenda, and everybody's trying to balance these these sort of things. So it's 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 just a little tricky. The small banks in rural areas uh, will probably do uh, do fine. We, we've chosen to be a metropolitan-based bank because I don't know how you start a bank from scratch, especially a retail bank any, anymore, with, unless you have a niche. Ours is commercial. Ours is C&I. We do that, and we do, we do it well. We do a good job with it. So the rural community banks, I think, can survive. They're not going to have the kind of growth, but it may, may be that it's a, it's a good return, a good stable return for their uh, investor group or their owner group. Whereas ours is a model more that's uh, built on growth uh, and, and moving into new markets, taking on some new challenges and opportunities and trying to um, uh, keep, the, keep the same original plan that we had until it's no longer working for you. you know? What would make it not work? Just grow stalls? That's a good question. If I, uh, The economy is going to hurt 
you know, no matter what, if, if you don't have a reasonable economy, but uh, uh, usually that's a year or two setback, if anything. Too much control, too much bureaucracy, trying to hire the right kinds of people, finding people with the right work ethic. This is societal. I mean, this is these, these problems now I hear from our customers and our clients, and it's so hard to hire people. You know, people stayed home during COVID, and uh, and, and it's still there is access to uh, money that's not created by productivity. Uh, I don't want to get too political in this, but I hear you. You know, but so you're you're educating people to have their hand out, and that's that's just not a good thing. And you know, God forbid that anybody pities you. You know, I mean, that's not what you want. You want to. You want to be that scrappy little person that says, I'm going to show you what I'll do. I'm, I'm going to fight hard. I'm going to do good and run this thing for the long term. So don't let yourself be a victim and don't accept more than you need in the way of a start. Fight your way through. You'll feel good about yourself when you do. Start a, start a business. <laughs> start a business. Think. Think. Use your head. That's the reason there's... You know, that's the reason we're at the top of the pecking order is our ability to reason and think logically. And it's not that we're physically more uh, able than the animal kingdom. It's just that we were able to, able to think and come up with uh, creative uh, inventions and devices and everything over time. That I'm a big uh, Ayn Rand fan. Atlas Shrugged. So yep. I'm on my fourth reading of it right now. It's 1,000 pages, 1,100 pages, I think, like that. So... Not everything that I agree uh, with it necessarily wholeheartedly, but uh, she grew up in a communist country and uh, came to the United States and wrote something and uh, wrote a book in 1957 that's as appropriate today as it, as it was, you know, 70, uh, 65 years ago. Work is good. Work, work's a good thing, and being rewarded for that work's a good thing. People that need help should get help, but you should open the door to them, give them an opportunity, and, and uh, uh, hopefully they can get on a track that gives them some dignity and self-worth as they move along as opposed to trying to take from other people. I read that, I think you had told me this, but you went back and got your master's, Yeah. and you grew up lower middle class? You know, we, we were middle class, I guess, but I, we didn't, you know, we lived in... Uh, thousand square foot house. What are the obstacles that you or others have to overcome to continue to develop themselves? You just don't have a quit mentality. You know, you know that you have to get to somewhere and you need to think about the steps to take to get there. So, you know, you know, you're raising a family and, and uh, you want to do, you want to, you know, create opportunities for them, not from a wealth standpoint, just an educational standpoint so that they can go out and do the same things you did and, uh, or at least, begin to uh, move up uh, a little bit. So I, I think greatest country ever. I just, I hope it doesn't change. I hope it uh, stays free and and, and uh, we uh, continue to have opportunities for hardworking people to, to make it, to create something, become an entrepreneur, to own something. A lot of people talk about, you know, people today in the markets we're in, complicated and problems, but you seem, people to you seems most important, at least the way you talk about it. It is. And it, it also seems that you've talked about enjoying long relationships through previous businesses that you've either been a part of or you founded and ran or whatever that might be, but having a big pool, so to speak, to pull from. How do you take a risk, do something acquire something when there's no, no support, minimal support, not a big corporate environment to handle a bun bunch of different jobs where it's a very gritty start? Well, first of all, you don't abuse uh, anyone. Uh, you don't, you, you can't be a, a greedy person and have uh, the expectations that later on those people are going to want to work with you again. So you, you, you create opportunities for them and you create opportunities for your investors. And so if you, if you do that, I think you create a future, even though you don't know what that future is going to be, just, just, just do things the right way, uh, work hard at it. Uh, you, you, you're going to take your shots. I mean, there's going to be some times when you're going to get hit. 
you know, you may make a mistake, but you, you get back up, dust yourself off, you get down the road. I just, I've gotten to where over, over the years, I can probably tell you in 15 or 20 minutes whether that person is going to be successful as a hire for us. What, is it, what do you look at? Oh, his attitude, his personality, his smile, his sincerity. You know, it's hard to con an old man. You know, you, you've been around long enough. You can, And that's what I'm really paid to do is to bring people together, to put a group together. And that group's got to fit. So the culture's got to fit everybody. And then you have to, you know, hire the best in each category. It's driven towards work. Try uh, as best you can to make uh, everybody there feel like that they own a piece of this. This is their little company, too. And small companies can do that. How? By SARS, by stock, by uh, asking for their opinion and their thought. Don't answer every question for them. Make them, make them think. Make them use their head and go back and forth. But uh, when they want uh, when they want and need help, you, you know, try to help them as best you can. Pass them. Don't keep knowledge to yourself. Share it. Share the knowledge. It's rewarding to see that, that you can pass something along. And, but it ends up paying back to you in the long term because that's your partner. Those people that work with you, not for you, they work with you. They are your partners. And your investors are your partners. And your board is your partner. When, when I went out... Um, and, and solicited board members. I'm looking for the smartest people I know, uh, people that uh, uh, will challenge me, not so I can have an easy task, but so I can learn, so I can gain and, and um, uh, be a part of something better than the last time, you know? So what do people want? Are you saying that if you find somebody that's good in their field, they want to feel like they have skin in the game? They want to feel encouraged? They don't want to feel micromanaged. It's, uh, I don't want to call it a game. It's, it's the challenge that you feel that you know you're making a contribution to the good of the group. At the same time, your skills are improving considerably, which is what you're going to help you. I, I don't ask anybody to be selfless. Everybody's got a little bit of selfish in them. You know, they should. They should, because they have to take care of their family. They have to work, work hard and do things. They should be rewarded for it. But by the same token, make sure you recognize that talent, the contribution that they make. Make sure you pay a bonus appropriately. And um, I don't think I ever really intended to get rich. I just in- intended to have enough. I wanted to, you know, make a reasonable amount of money and, and have a certain lifestyle that was, oh, upper middle. But the more you uh, the more you bring people into the process, the better it becomes for you too. So, I would like to come to work for a company like we have here, because I know I can come into anybody's office at any time. I'm a young person out of college. Uh, it's not it's not any hierarchy of you know uh, high chain of command. It's pretty much we're open to anything. Uh, I can talk to a 20, 20 year old, I can talk to somebody 70 years old, you know? Way to do it. What will tank a bank? Oh, asset quality. Always. You know, you make bad loans. You can't, you can't be overly compassionate. And, uh, you know, just because somebody has a need, you can't say, oh, gosh, let's make him, let's make him a loan. Uh, you know, it doesn't work that way. They've got to be able to pay you back. And so, um, Obviously, we're going to take some risk, but you know, yeah, you, uh, your margins are so thin that, that uh, you, you can't can't afford to have much uh, in the way of losses or charge offs or asset quality issues. Very few bank payers don't go back to that. There may be, you know, a couple had foreign exchange traders or some kind of crazy stuff that went on, but it's it's bad loans. What about from a talent standpoint? What will take a bank? Well. It depends on how far you want to go. A, a rural bank wouldn't need the same talent that, that I need in a growing bank. If we're $425 million a day, my mind is on a billion in assets. That's all you're thinking about? Well, I'm, I'm just thinking how to push a little bit farther. So, you know, you say, well, how much, how much can we do reasonably and safely during that period of time so when I pass this along or whatever happens to it? Whether we get acquired, whether we go public, whether we, I don't know, you know, 
leave it better, leave it in good shape, leave the people that came to work for you, stepped off the porch and took a risk with you on the front end, leave them something, uh, a great place to work or a good bank to join with to work so that they get them want to come to work in the morning, you know? And um, if they're happy, they're gonna, it's gonna show with their customers and their contact. As opposed to a big bank, if we have, and we do, we have like 55 people and we're in five cities, soon to be six, but our competition, the larger banks may have several thousand people in the city. It's going to be awfully hard to compete against a little bank that has extraordinary talent at every point of contact. Because my goal is try to find A-plus talent at every level, but you can't find 5,000 people or you can't find 3,000 people that are at that level. While there's efficiency of having a, a larger bank, there's an advantage to a smaller bank, too, is that you can, you know, you can target talent and, uh, uh, and grow it. That's what we try to do. Another advantage is nowadays, you know, technology is available. Uh, what the big banks can do, we can do. You know, we just, uh, and that is important. We, we invest in, in uh, it used to be, you'd say banking's 90-10, 90% people, 10% technology. I'd say it's 75-25 now. That's how I can do it out of one location per city. We, we have no interest in branching. We just have one office per city, one office per city, one office per city. This location here you're, we're at, we're talking from today, has 100, 120,000 cars a day that go by. It's a great spot for us. That's, that's really all we need in Shelby County. You know, and you don't you don't have the the numbers of people, and what you have to do to be competitive is, especially when you're a smaller bank, you probably have to price your loans pretty aggressively, and by that I mean you know you're going to shave a little bit off the top, and you're going to pay a little bit more for deposits probably, but you make it up in uh, cost containment, expense control, and hopefully lack of charge offs. We had our first pass through loan a few months ago. I know that sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but we did. And, you know, it's a little, um, but we're not a retail bank now, understand? So, it, you know, no matter how good you are, you, you're going to make a bad loan and, and uh, you work through it. And uh, like that, that one, I think that asset is uh, sold. We have somebody interested in buying it and you pick up and move on. But uh, we're, we're just commercial people. We do more C and I business than we do real estate business, and so we we um, consider those people our partners too. You know, a lot of them have investment in our bank; they bought stock in our bank. Earlier, you've talked about it a couple of times. You said you take chances, you take risks, you never stop growing, you play the long game. You didn't say this, yeah, but I gathered it from what you said. Essentially, you try to play the long game every deal. Is that fair? Yes. People become comfortable with your bankers, your loan officers, uh, your deposit folks, and, and they like the service that they get. It's high touch. You, you'll notice we don't we don't have any drive through tellers. We we know when you come in the parking lot, we'll open the door for you. I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty comfortable. Uh, if you're running a certain you know a certain size company, you 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 enjoy the fact you can come and talk and and have uh, people that are responsive. Is it ever attractive to think about you might have made more money if you work for a, a publicly traded bank? I mean, what's money? I, you know, it, it's money's independence. It's freedom. Uh, money's money, but no, power is not. I'm not into control or power. I'm just into succeeding, having a challenge, working, bringing a group together. You know, a good example is, you know, if... if um, if you're a playwright, if, you, if you're directing a play or a movie or some such, what, what do you have to have? You've got to have stars in the right place. You've got to pick that cast out. And if you can't, if, if you can't do that, and if you don't understand what it what it takes to make that all click, then you probably you probably don't don't want to be in the business that we're in anyway. Uh, we're, we're dealing with money, but um, I make enough, you know. I'm okay. And I guess that breaking point for you when you realized that, when you went to the other side of it. I think if, I think if you start out thinking about, oh, my gosh, I'm going to make all this money, you're, you're in the wrong business, too. Money comes because you do it well. You know, you get rewarded for it because you do it well. 
I wouldn't make it in a big bank. Uh, uh, you know, you, you pay me four or five million dollars a year. I, I just, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> wouldn't do it. Yeah. I'm not saying they'd pay me four or five million dollars a year either. I just like, I just like what we do, and and uh, we've been successful at it. Uh, my group of people have been successful at it for a long time, and we're happy with that. And I'm happy with the results, and I'm I'm uh, I'm glad to be friends and associates of people for, you know, for a long time, for a number of years. Hey everybody, we're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card that gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle-free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS, that's J-E-T-S, to travel on your own terms. You've talked about having diversity from shareholders, and Mm -hmm. I don't think you let anybody get over 10%. Is that right? Yep. And you got about 100 now? We have 200 shareholders. 200. Mm-hmm. So you have 200 shareholders. What's your philosophy behind that? Well, okay. <laughs> because the guys on your board, they're, they're a lot stronger than I am. We got, we got guys, you know, worth $100 million. I mean, a lot of money. They could control. They could buy, buy everybody else out. You know, uh, we, we never, I never intended for, for me or anyone else to have absolute control or dominance in, a, in, a, in the bank. We think it's good to have uh, a diversification and have a lot of people that uh, have an interest in it. And so, uh, you know, that, that's that's kind of the way uh, I think it works best. So what you're saying is similar to the way that you want things to be internally, you want that to be from an oversight standpoint. And you feel from a board standpoint, and you feel when you got the smartest people in a room and it's diverse and nobody can ultimately get Trump everyone else. You feel like that's how you're going right. to build the best. Yeah, structure. we have 19 board members. They're all really, really smart guys by design. It, it's not so that Frank's the chairman of the board and he gets to be the smart guy. I, I have no intention of, of that. I'd like to contribute in a significant way to the running of the bank. And but I have you know Scott House, who is our CEO now. I have people that I pass things along to, but uh, things along to, but I also rely on every day. You know, there's something that comes up. I'll say, hey, I'll call this director about this. He's got connectivity, or he's got awareness of it. Uh, he knows the barge business, or I, I can I can go on and on. That uh, our circles of influence are pretty pretty strong, and we use that, and, and it works pretty well for us. I learn every time I talk to him. Mm. You and your wife. Had- Adopted your son, right? Hmm? Yes. From Russia? Yes. And now he's in college? Yes. What made you want to do that? Well, we had done well. And financially, we were in good shape. We had traveled a lot. And um, I have two older children. And uh, had three. Had one child passed away. And my wife, been married 26 years to Beverly, she... Uh, had never had any children, and uh, we were Italian fest was going on uh, over at Mount Royal Park, uh, I guess, or Marquette Park. And they had a little booth there, and it said Lithuanian adoption or something. I said, "Hey, you know what? I, I would do something like that." And she looked at me and said, "You're kidding me. You would." And I said, "Yeah, I would do that." You know, and uh, she said, "Oh, you're kidding me." And I said, "No, I would do it for sure. You want? You know, we thought about it. So it took two years." So we went to Russia, stayed there a month, got to see some interesting things, and uh, Alex was two, two and a half when we got him. And so my wife had the opportunity, we had the opportunity to uh, 
raised that young man together, and uh, I'm happy to say that he is doing well in Chattanooga, and um, he's playing lacrosse at UTC. He's he's uh, he's in the feeder school, the junior college feeder school, and uh, uh, he's got one more year of that, but he works. He's got a job over there, and uh, he's a hardworking guy. He's he's going to do okay. He's going to do okay. What's it like thinking about the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine and thinking about that choice years ago? You know, I know it's hard for him. Uh, he's proud. He's, he's proud of being, um, he'll have the American flag up first, but, but he's also proud of being from Russia. I just thought it was pretty powerful thinking about that choice years ago from you, from you and your wife to, to adopt him mm-hmm. and then thinking about where he's at today and what may it have been a different story had that not happened. Yeah, you know, I, I saw some, I was looking at some pictures because we're, we're boxing up some stuff. I was looking at some pictures uh, early on and seeing him and, and just, you know, think back of that and say, boy, you know what? That was something. And my wife did more of the raising than me, of course, because I was working every day. But uh, she got an opportunity to, uh, to be a mom, and she's a good one. She's a really good one, so... And he's progressed. You know, when we got him, he was two and a half years old. He'd been in the orphanage, so he was delayed. And it, it took, uh, you know, a while for him to catch up and, and all. But uh, he, got, he got in, we got him in the good schools, and uh, I, I know he's on track. He's a good boy. Yeah. When you think back to those early days and you think about where we're at today with technology, can you describe maybe your own thought process or your own discipline how you continue to see technology change and evolve and how you mm. try to stay up to speed yourself personally to then make a very another bold bet on number four. Well, I hire very talented people with technological backgrounds because that's not, I'm not inclined towards that. I just know the value of it. I know what I get from it. And uh, so I rely pretty heavily on them. Now, what it does from our standpoint is it makes us extremely efficient. So our processes and our systems are in order. And so, you know, it, 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 it pays off well for us. As to what technology we'll be able to do going forward, I don't know. I know what it's done for us today. It's allowed us to have no drive-throughs, limited number of people down there, and be able to draw deposits from, from everywhere as necessary. So I I, can't, I don't know. I mean, you take five years from now, I I have no no clue what artificial I don't what AI can do to to streamline things. But you know, there's there's risks, there's cybersecurity risks that go along with it. But uh, it's a real advantage. You know, uh, uh, bricks and mortar. That's not a good investment in in my mind. I've seen banks build huge headquarters and stuff like that, and I'm going like, you know, uh, not necessary. Uh, it's people. Put your money in people and, and their connectivity. Get good people that, that, that um, uh, people enjoy working with and through. You know, you, you don't have to have a big uh, monument to do that. Uh, you just need to be in a decent location, one city per, one location per city, a limited staff. What keeps you focused on the customer for decades? i just always done it. Uh, you know, the, the gold, G-O-L-D, in this business is loans. So you have to find people that you invest in or loan money to that uh, are credit worthy and pay you back, and, uh, and you make your spread. Can't make a lot of mistakes, but um, we, we, we've been able to do that. But it's the United States. I mean, we, we've, got a, we've got a great track record of economy always coming back, and moving it forward. You know, it rewards it, it rewards invested capital, and I hope it continues to do that. And I hope we continue to have a work ethic that is good good for the country, not not driven by necessarily Republicans or Democrats or any, anybody. Just just uh, people that like to see society get a little bit better over time and work hard to do it. With the next generation of bankers, how do you see that? You know, I don't know. I know what we've got. And I know that these people will do extremely well, but regulation, things could change for any and, and all. The way it's set up today uh, is really, really pretty good for us. But we have to think real carefully about where we invest. If 
if we show weakness in, in, in any area, I mean, the, the regular, regulatory issues will come up and we'll be stopped dead in our tracks. So uh, the connectivity, the centers of influence, that, that type of thing are really important. You know, good, solid, hardworking people that have their own businesses, keep their deposits with you, and, uh, you know, it, it works. But you ask about five years from now or whatever, I don't know. I just know you stay flexible. Even even with if you're an older guy like me, you stay flexible, you know, or get out, you know. What do you mean stay flexible? I mean, you got to react. It's it's uh, the buzzword the NBA is used now is pivot. You know, you got to be able to pivot. You got you to do it fast. You can't just say, well, it's always been this way. I've heard that sometimes and I hear that. I go, gosh, please don't say that. It's always, we've always done it this way. There is no always done it this way. Because tomorrow is different than today. If you don't realize that, if you don't think, you're not forward thinking in, in, in your approach to things, I, I just don't, I don't think you'll, you'll um, make it to the next level. Maybe it's best that you sell your bank or merge with somebody who's a little bigger, a little broader. So this last bank, Bank 3, you acquired the Farmers Bank. It was a $12 million asset bank, and you've already referenced this a couple times, but you've grown it to $425. You've said that you're pushing to a billion-dollar bank. Is that fair? Yeah, I don't know that you stop there. or It's just a number. I mean, you, you, just, you just keep kind of growing it moving forward. I do think this. We, try to, we shoot for 15 or 20% increase in profits year over year. I think that's important. I'm not ashamed of that. I think you you need to reward your shareholders with with that type of thing. Asset size, <clears throat> it's not critical. However, we've got a certain amount of fixed costs, and we can take this model anywhere now with just, if we were to go to Chattanooga or Huntsville, Alabama, or Asheville, North Carolina, we'd probably only have to hire four people. We'd hire a commercial lender to head up the office and three desk side people that support in every way they got to be generalists. they got to be able to do a lot of different things. But so your overhead, talking about 2,700 square feet of space, what, how much can it cost you? Not much. How much can four people cost you? Not much. Pay a very nice salary and give a lot of responsibility to the lead guy. He's used your connectivity into that community. And uh, he's also got contacts in a portfolio. He's, he's also got assets that uh, people eventually bring over, and he'll – He'll bring talent, too. Uh, your good people will bring good people. In your head, can you lay this out? If you're going to go in and you're going to take over a tiny bank and you've done this before and you're doing it again, how do you think? How do you frame that in your head? How do you think about year one, year two, year three? Well, I think when you write something down on a piece of paper, you have found a way to get to it. And so the projections that we made for the FDIC and, and the Tennessee Department of Financial Institutions and to our investors, we said this is where we'll be over the next five years. And honestly, at the end of five years, to the million, we were right on it. I think whatever you say you're going to do, you write it down and then you move towards it. Whatever, who am I going to hire first? Who can I afford this year? Well, Scott House. Matt Shirley, I go down the list. I have to have these people for this stage, but we're not going to be in this stage forever. And then, you know, so I can go so on and so on. And then you get to a certain point where you're covering yourself in, in, in Memphis and in Union City, and you say, well, it's time for us to take this to another place. It's not so much it's a franchise, but it's kind of like that, except you, you can be different in each market as that particular market would dictate. So the individual that you hire is going to be your person in Jackson or your person in North Mississippi or your person up in Woodland Mills on the Kentucky border, you know, or in Nashville or in Franklin or, you know, whatever you do. We think we know how to do it. And um, everybody works hard here. I can pretty much tell you that there's, in a small bank, there's no place to hide. You either feel it or, you, you know, your energy level needs to be needs to be pretty high, and and you have to be able to at, at, at my level you have to be able to tolerate, you have to worry a lot, you have to think a lot about 
what do we need to do to make sure everybody can do what they're supposed to do? How do we enable them to get out there? How frequently do we need to have long committee meetings? Something pops up and you need to get your customer, you got an opportunity to do something. We're on call. And you know, and, and that, that meeting might consist of, I don't know, four or five people, but they could range in age from the young credit analyst to the old guy, you know. Uh, and I just, I just, I just enjoy it. It's just a. What know. is it? Is it the people? Is it the energy? It's fine. It's is fine. it the growth? What yes, is it that yes, makes you? Yes, yes. You know, they become your family. I mean, this this group here becomes very, very close, and you watch out for each other. You know, uh, and if something happens to them and their families or whatever else, you you know, you know, they're your friends. You support each other, and so. Uh, you, you enjoy that part of it. I thought about all during COVID, you know, I came into work every day. I always had something going on. But I thought about my older son. He didn't get a chance to go in every day. And I thought, that's a tough deal to work from your house for a couple of years, you know. To me, it is to not have any contact. I was fortunate to be able to, you know, to have something going on, to not have to think so much about the, the uh, pandemic or I was working on something, you know. How can somebody change if you're talking about a love of the work, trying to find the best people you can, give them what they need, create wealth for others? Well, if you were to, I don't know, if if you were to say, well, Frank, you can either have this pile of money or you can have a successful company that's probably going to, take care of a lot of families for a long time, but a lot of people, I would, I'd, I'd say, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm good. As I said a little while ago, it's the success of an organization that, that uh, creates wealth and the ability to hire people and provide jobs. It's a combination of all that that goes hand in hand to make you feel like you've done the right thing. you got a purpose, okay? My purpose is not to make a gazillion dollars. It's to make a really good return, safe return for, for our investors, including my family, and, and provide nice job opportunities for the people that are um, deserving of it. But to me, it's common sense that they work together. We do well financially because of the way we conduct ourselves. But, you know, again, like I said, it's uh, money is important to a point. But there's a lot of lot of lot of other things to consider too, you know. You've referenced a couple more years, whether that's ten or whether that's two, whatever that is. What type of skill sets would be needed by somebody that's gonna take your place whenever that's time? I think they have to be um good mind, willing to think, uh good work ethic, good heart. They they take on responsibility. They take on responsibility for their investors, for their employees, the staff, and everything. And for, for them to take that responsibility seriously is, is important. And they better have some pretty good banking skills in certain categories in order to do that. So uh, mine are on C&I lending, you know, and relationship with clients and recruiting and hiring and things like that. And I would think that's a pretty good place to start. And you start filling in the other areas so that that person needs to be able to do the same sort of thing. There's, there's a couple around, you know. What do you have to do to start something from scratch? It's really hard. I'm not patting myself on the back now at all because five years, six years ago when we started this, it was it was challenging, but you knew you had a history of doing it. But it seems like it gets harder and harder and the time to recoup your original investment and stuff becomes a little longer. You got to have the um, stick-to-itiveness or the uh, stamina to get through the first three years. You start out, first month we were open, you know, we lost $300,000. Didn't have a single piece of business. We were open, you know. Had a tiny little bank that hadn't made money in seven years. And we moved the headquarters here to Memphis, raised capital, started putting it to work. Well, had some really talented people, but it was two and a half years later before we started making a monthly profit. You know, you but you close that gap every month. So 
I think our cash flow this past month was a positive $400,000. So you go from a negative $300,000 six years ago to a positive $400,000 and, you know, in that time frame, but it doesn't go, at, you know, it does it over time. Uh, so like I say, we try to, we try to improve uh, our shareholder value and price, you know, our earnings. Our goal is 20% a year, you know, year over year. You know, if you fall a little bit short of that, you're okay. I mean, you made it, you know, it's, 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 it's done well. There'll be a years, you know, that you won't make it, but you could dust yourself off, get back, and go forward with it. Uh, our goal now is probably to, to, to pay some type of cash dividend or monetization of uh, people's investment over the next two or three years. But it's hard. I, your question was <clears throat> starting one nowadays. The person. Oh, the person, yeah. You described the skill sets and characteristics of taking it on after you, but I was curious about. So I have people in-house. You know, the CEO is, is, is Scott House. There's uh, uh, a couple other people I could reference that are younger that, you know, have ability uh, to go to that level. Or it may be um, a, an older, more experienced person. Uh, my role is executive chairman, transferring things gradually. I'm glad to do that. I don't want to box Scott down too much because he's got his hands full. He's got a lot of responsibility. Uh, he's very, very well connected in the national market we're going into, and we think that's going to work out real nicely for us. So everybody's replaceable, you know. So we'll we'll figure it out. I'm sure there'll be. Uh, let me say this: we will we will have very good talent in all positions. I think we're almost there now. Probably lacking. Oh, made two hires recently on the staff side, which I think was strong. And we need uh, one, one other senior senior position, and that's it. Used to be a whole lot more than that, but you only do them as you can afford them. You know, you're you're trying to open new offices, which takes two years to get to a profit on each one or a year and a half. Yet you're trying to show that the income stream is is building and you want the regulators to realize that you know you're a good solid bank but you are being aggressive in so far as expansion while doing it in a prudent way yeah has to be and because of the competitive environment and the fee structure right you don't ever take on uh, crazy risk you might cut your price a little bit. You may be aggressive on, on the pricing of your loans. You may pay up a little bit for deposits, and your margins may be a little bit less. I keep that board. I, I look at that stuff every day. And I know, I know what my cost of funds are. I know what my overhead is. You know, I know everything. I'm, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a yeah, numbers yeah. guy. So you know that, um, well, you see, we're a million half dollar profit uh, through the last month. That's after taxes, I guess, for in, in July. And, you know, we won't quite double that by the end of the year. We'll almost double it. And then we'll reinvest uh, as soon as we get comfortable with an market, a market. We're making enough money, then we'll, we'll maybe look at somewhere, somewhere else to go. What are the biggest opportunities right now that you see for yourself or for, for others, given just how the environment continues to change and evolve? It's just too much volatility and uncertainty to say that right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, address anything politically. But you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of challenges. Uh, not the least of which is geopolitical. But in, in the country, I mean, you you clearly got a, a parting of the ways. So I I can't say that there's a other than the path I've told you about about do things the right way through the right people and don't be greedy and don't, you know, there's no power or control sort of thing, but uh, take care of your responsibilities, do what you do. And um, the United States is pretty tough. You know, they, they seem to come back from a lot of stuff, but I don't know if we've been stretched this far before. And that, that is a concern. The uh, pandemic, wearing masks, having to stay at home, the lack of social interaction. There's too many things for me to tell you that I can say this is what you do right now because they're exogenous. There are things that are outside of anybody's control and just stay stay prepared, you know. Keep doing what you do. We'll, we'll always need good companies, good organizations, uh, 
well-run, well-thought-out strategies with good people. But um, all I can say is, as best you can, serve your customer at a highest level. You know, staff your board with different types of people where various religious backgrounds and, and you know, that's, I mean, it's added, um, you know, we need, need some more. We have a female, have an African-American who happens to be my next door neighbor that's joined us, maxillofacial surgeon. You know, we we trying to to do good as as we get on our feet and, and earn back the money that we lost early on, you know, you reinvest in the community. That's important to us too. So we make strides, corporate governance, um, just generally get better at everything that you do. All of us here should challenge each other. I should be challenged and I should challenge them to to stay on your game because it is kind of it is it is difficult right now. And you can't survive or you can't thrive unless it's that way. Yeah. You're saying if you're gonna be the underdog and you're gonna have growth and you're gonna seize opportunity and you're not gonna be able to just use size to leverage others. You've got to be aligned. You've got to challenge each other and you got to find the right people because that's the only way you're going to win the market. Yes. And yes. And, and those people have to understand that when they sign on, that's what they're signing on to, that it becomes an important part of their life. Not, not as important as their family, I'm saying, but you spend a lot of your, a lot of your time down here and figure out ways to make the person next to you better. Help them. They'll help you. Team sport. What, when you think of people on your board or when you think of people that have exceptional performance that you've seen and understood because you know them and you know their situations and other balance sheets, what are some of the top things that you've seen that stick out to you over and over again? They don't rely on luck. It's hard work. Uh, they think, uh, think things through. Most everybody on our board is an entrepreneur. And they're a successful entrepreneur. We have a couple of physicians, but still, they have some entrepreneurial instincts, you know. And I think it's, I think that's a good thing, because a business will always challenge challenge you to think and to uh, uh, survive. And so it's you know, it's not it's not easy. It can be fun, make you want to get up in the morning and and come do it one more did one more day and get a little bit better than you were yesterday. What's it feel like this stage of your life, given situation and circumstances you grew up in, given how you talked about your mother, you talked about her influence in yeah. your life, and then thinking yeah. about now, being mom, able, with creating wealth for others, building this? My mom would be pretty proud. Um, she just told us to believe, you know, believe that you can do it. She worked hard, and, uh, and she cared for her kids. I care, obviously, for, for my family and uh I'd like to see uh, my grandkids and great-grandkids uh, be able to go to school wherever they want to, you know, to, uh, if they can get in. I'd like to to help help do that. But um, that's about as far as, as the handouts go, you know. I mean, you, you got to take it from there and do it on your own. But good education. Be around the right people. And, ha- you know, I guess have the ability to, to, to want to be uh, around the right right kinds of people. Get off track, you better get back on track, you know, and, and uh, drugs aren't a solution. Uh, excessive alcohol drink is not a solution. You know, I mean, it, there's no escape. You just kind of work hard and get somewhere. What about for the men and women that you think about that? Is there any thought or feeling behind it with people able to get a good career, maybe get some options? Yeah, you know, you know what I like nowadays? Uh, by and large, uh, you know, women have been under underappreciated, and they are underdogs. They haven't had the opportunity uh, historically, and so I enjoy seeing the the uh, uh, energy and the and and they are, uh, I think, by and large, appreciative of the opportunity. But uh, you know, they're um, we we have some very talented uh, women, and we have several EVPs, and it's important to me that. But they're they're a, a, a large part of our culture too, you know. The not just older white males, you know. We, uh, got some smart ladies here. And you're saying that diversity matters to you? Mm-hmm. Sure does. Yeah, and you're pulling for them. I mean, they're underdogs, you know. You, you mean not as much as they used to be, but still, you know. So yeah, it's it's that's fun. That's fun. Uh, watch somebody progress. 
So is it safe to say it doesn't really matter how much technology continues to evolve and change, but if you do things the right way, it's going to work one way or another? I'd say that today. I don't really know what the future brings. I know that's the best approach to take, but that's that's all I know. Uh, I know to draw the right people, retain the right people, reward the right people, everybody stick together, culturally driven. Our competition is outside these walls. We don't, we don't fight internally, and we don't um, create unnecessary drama. We just stick to serving our customers and uh, trying to run a good organization. You know? When you make the wrong hire or when you make the wrong call and it's a mistake, and you feel like crap about it, whatever it might be. How do you own it, understand it, but then get over it? Oh, you got to own it quick. And you're going to know probably within a relatively short period of time. <clears throat> now, when you first start, you may not be able to address it as immediate. It takes a while, but in the back of your mind, you're saying, I just, this is not, not going to work. And um, as soon as you can, you uh, upgrade, you know. Sounds cold, but... Like I say, you you really can't do people favors if they don't buy into and don't have the um, have what it takes to be in the business that you're in. They may be they may be better at something else or some other business, but yeah, we we moved along a few times. So, but like I say, right now, I can't think of a full time person that we wouldn't rehire. That's pretty good. It wasn't always that way. Yes, sir. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for you. I have a lot of respect for each of these seasons that you've been in that could entertain and inform the people that listen to this. So hopefully they could just learn it from another episode from somebody that knows a thing or two about what they're doing. Back at you. Uh, I, I respect what you're doing. And uh, I imagine you're going to be very successful in it. Uh, first time I met you, I felt that. So uh, you're, you're an entrepreneur and, and you're pretty good at what you do. I appreciate you saying that. Hey, everybody. Since you've made it this far in the show, I wanted to share with you something that you may love. A few months ago, I was asked to interview a close friend's grandmother who's in her 90s. She lives outside of the United States, and this is a way to get to the heart of her and capture her life in a way that could stay with the family for generations to come. This interview was an absolute blast, and it brought tremendous joy and value to this family. Since then, I started doing this for others. If you have someone you love or know, of someone whose story in life you'd love to capture in an interview, go to mystorytold.org to learn more. My team and I would love to discuss this with you further. Finally, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review. Please subscribe to the show and you can follow me on social, on Twitter and Instagram to join me for future episodes of the Driven By Podcast. Hope you have a great week and see you next time.